Trash Owner Cast, where we gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. We're continuing with our Growing Up Summer Marathon, in which we are looking at coming-of-age films throughout the summer of 2018. Very exciting times right here, as we are looking at Whip It, which is not about what you think it's about. Small it's dogs. A documentary about Devo, right? It is, in fact, not about Devo or very lean pups. Yeah, small like uh, mini greyhounds. No, neither of those things. Indeed, it is about roller derby. Roller derby. The the coolest of all sports. The coolest of all derbies <laughs> is the roller derby. Yeah, Much the, better than the Kentucky. Or the hat. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, th- this... This is uh, now, we're kind of reached the culmination of this marathon. We started back in the 1950s uh, with Stand By Me, and we've worked our way up to the aughts uh, here with Whip It, uh, starring Ellen Page. What we assume to be the aughts. Well, yeah. We'll, it, lo- it looks like the naughties. We'll get, we'll get into that. The Nazis. The na- no, ooh, well. <laughs> it does not, well. That's uh, the 20-teens. That's when that happens. That's another decade away. Yeah. Yeah. So, we had no idea what we were in for. That's when we do green room and... <laughs> Yeah. Well, we'll see Pash again in Green Room, which is fun. Sure. Oh, love her. But, but uh, let's go ahead and identify these disembodied voices speaking to the brains. Who are you across the way, sir? I am Arthur Gordon and Dalton. If the podcast was called Bongwater, would you listen to it? Probably not. <laughs> not even then. Moving on to my left, who are you, sir? My name is Dalton Stewart, and Dustin, grab a microphone and uh, be your own hero. I'm going to do what I can. My name is Dustin Sells, and we deserve better villains. Nice. Yes, we do. I was hoping he was going to go with that. Yeah. Yeah. I had I had the other one about imagining your dad naked, but I had it just in case <laughs> one of you took the other one. So uh, there you go, dear listener. You know who we are. Now you need to know what's going on. This is not a review show. It is an analysis show. I imagine that's all, like, if that were text now, they'd have the hands clapping between syllables. Yeah, every time he says it, I picture yeah. every all caps with single the, yeah, time. clap emojis. It's, it's a rhetorical device, man. And uh, so what we mean by that, though, is simply this, that we will be doing spoilers. However, we will avoid them the first third of the show. This looks like this. We have a synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema, and then we have quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews. All of this shall indeed be spoiler-free. Then we might play a game. We not might play a game. We will play a game, but the game might. There's where the might is. The, the appropriate counterfactual in this place might is that we might indeed have some mild spoilers of this film and other films in its orbit. This week's game tends towards not. So uh, there you go on that. And then we move right on into business. There is a musical cue to let you know that it is indeed business time and that we are wearing our business socks and therefore ready to bring you some analysis which will involve the spoiler. That's right. That is when you will find out that Ellen Page was pregnant the entire time. I thought she was uh, was catfishing a guy um, <laughs> who was something of a predator. <laughs> oh, different movie. Totally different movie. So I thought, we're going to talk about that later, I thought though. The predator, this is the one where she can walk through walls and she joins forces with another team, right? <laughs> I thought the predator was in a Central American jungle. I'm totally confused. You were way off. <laughs> yep. No, we're just throwing all the movies in a blender right now. Uh, this is actually, the Whippet is the one that you can play on the PS4 uh, with Willem Dafoe, right? <laughs> 
Nobody remembers that game. Thank you for playing Oh, my goodness. So, well, there you go, dear listener. Without any further ado, because we've had far too much ado at this point, Mr. Arthur Gordon, voice of the cinema, let's hear that synopsis, please. Just an aside, wouldn't a roller derby game <laughs> More ado. be just a lot of fun? Like, if, like just like an over-the-top cartoony, like, roller derby game? Oh, like a video game? Yeah. Yeah, I would play the game that game real hard. That'd be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Like character switching like you would do in a, like a soccer yeah. or basketball kind of game. Yeah, yeah. No, it'd be great. Sports you game, yeah. knock people out. It'd be a blast. EA Sports brings you roller derby. Yeah. Man, yeah, I would play that game. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, hey, hey, uh, nerds, make that. Anybody but EA, because I don't want to pay for every little thing. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to have to drop 99 cents every time I want to unlock a new jammer or whatever. Yes. These guys aren't Stupid. afraid to challenge don't, everything. Don't make me pay money to put fishnets on my characters. <laughs> it's a roller derby game. That should come out of the box. Dalton has to pay enough for his fishnets in real life that Fuck he doesn't want to do in the video. Saying, I facts. am saying. They are a lovely pair you're wearing tonight, by the Thank way. You. I appreciate that. <laughs> Let's hear that synopsis, Mr. Arthur Gordon. In Bodine, Texas, an indie rock-loving misfit finds a way of dealing with her small-town misery after she discovers a roller derby league in nearby Austin. So are you like alternative now? I don't know. Yeah, it's funny. And the whole joke, alternative to what? It's good. That, well, you know, it, it's a ripped line. Uh, it's a, Is it's, it? It's a Billy Joe Armstrong line. Uh, there was a uh, anthology a series about rock and roll that aired on PBS, uh, I don't know, five, six years before this film was released. Oh, wow. And uh, that was when they were describing that moment of the 90s as alternative. And Billy Joe Armstrong of Green Day famously said, alternative to what exactly? I, I hope Sean Across, the uh, screen uh, screenplay writer, uh, was aware of that. I, I, I would I hope so, too. I mean, she played roller derby. It seems possible. Well, and it was sort of in reference to specifically that kind of music scene. So That's true, yeah. It seems to be a thing. But nonetheless, let's go into those thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews and find out what we think about this movie. I go to you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you say about roller derby? Not roller derby. Whip it. Uh, do you like it, dislike it, and tell me why. But what are your general thoughts on the roller derby itself? Uh, it is designed to delight and astound 15-year-old me uh, because it's the coolest women that have ever lived doing some really, really dangerous stuff. It's dangerous, and, and everybody's got tattoos, and I love it. And it's right great. up your alley, it's isn't so, it? It's powerful and strong and amazing and so dangerous, so unbelievably dangerous and just cool as shit to watch. I can't believe there's only like two roller derby movies. Uh, it's this and a movie from the 70s that nobody remembers called Kansas City Bomber. With like Daryl Hannah? I can't remember who's in it. I got Farrah to Fawcett. I don't even think it's somebody that well known. I got to see it uh, in Kansas City, uh, interrupted by Doug Benson, some other comedians. It was really fun. But yeah, there should be more roller derby movies because it's just cool to watch, uh, which brings us to Whip It, which is a delight. Um, I, Ellen Page is great here. That goes without saying. This is just shortly after her big breakout in Juno and um, still kind of in the, you know, pigeonholed into those high school roles where she would, I, I feel like her career kind of ended up languishing. I, I, she's had a hard time breaking out of those high school roles because she hasn't had a whole lot to do the last few and years. And she looks like she's 11 years old, though. Uh, she is, yeah, she's got a very young look, and I feel like, as Dustin myself can both relate to, when you look young for well into your 20s, it's, uh, you know, it kind of makes it hard for people to take you seriously doing certain things. Truth. I can relate. Uh, 
And I, I imagine that probably has something to do with it. Also, I, I suspect she's probably just not getting scripts that she's interested in, is my guess. Uh, but I, this movie, the entire time I was watching it, just made me wish I, there was more Ellen Page in the world. Because she's such a delight. I think the last thing she got was that Flatliners pseudo-sequel remake mm-hmm. thing that Dustin and I kept saying we were going to go see. And then didn't. No. Yeah, no, it wasn't, wasn't worth our time. But she just reminds you why Juno was such a hit. And, and Whippet, you know, didn't perform very well at the box office when it came out. It is kind of a forgotten movie, which was a big part of why I pushed for us talking about it on the show. Uh, because all of the coming-of-age films that we've done in this marathon, while, uh, you know, I think we've stayed in our lane in terms of good trash, things that wouldn't come up in a film studies course, they're all fairly well-known and fairly well-respected, I think. Um with a possible exception, maybe of, well, I, I guess maybe no. Almost Famous is still pretty well respected. I mean, Perks is probably. The, I guess Perks. Yeah, now that we've moved into I the nineties and the, the rest of them are fairly. Yeah, they're fairly well known commodities. But Whippet, I think, really went under the radar. I think it barely made back its budget. Um, Drew Barrymore, I think, here in her uh, to date only uh, directorial uh, feature film. I think she's done some TV episodes. Um, I think she's great. She shoots the roller derby scenes pretty pretty well. Um, I mean, those are really the only moments where there's a lot of flash to the camera, I feel like. But that's not important. I think what Drew Barrymore's direction brings is a real family unit. I, I think there's a lot of great interplay on the roller derby team. There, there's a sense of camaraderie that really does come across uh, on screen, which I, is a big selling point of the film. And it doesn't hurt that you've got a really great supporting cast. Uh, Kristen Wiig, and one of the first things I ever remember seeing her in. Uh, but you've also got Zoe Bell, uh, the fantastic stunt performer from uh, New Zealand. Uh, and then you've got Eve, uh, who I don't, I don't know that I've seen her in that many movies. Uh, she's very good in this. Uh, but again, and then you know, just a wonderful cast all around. Juliette Lewis as the heavy um, as as the the villainous antagonist, uh, she's great, and also the lessest, the least known Wilson brother as their coach. It's just a fun cast, and I think Drew Barrymore does a really great job getting fun performances out of these people. Uh, and that doesn't even mention our our non roller derby uh, playing cast members, Leah Shawcat as Ellen Page character's best friend, uh, and then her parents, uh, Marcia Gay Harden and Daniel Stern. Again, this cast, top to bottom, I think is really fantastic. And is a big part of what makes the movie work is uh, the the ways in which these characters interact with each other, both in terms of the writing of the screenplay, but again, in the direction of the performances. Uh, but again, those things aside, I think the roller derby sequences, as I, as I mentioned already, are, are really well shot. They're fun. They're very fluid and quick and exciting, and it gives you a really good picture of why this sport is so entertaining, what works about it, what makes it fun, and why it's kind of got this really cool underground following that it's had for uh, going on a decade now, I actually learned recently uh, that when this film came out, uh, it really inspired a lot of uh, high-level roller derby players that are playing right now, uh, which makes sense. I mean, this film came out about 10 years ago now, so the target demo for this film would be in their mid to late 20s at this point and would be of prime roller derby playing age. Uh, and that makes sense because this film makes it look like a shit ton of fun and uh, a place where people who feel... Uh, like misfits can come together and uh, you know have a good time. I mean, there's a lot of connections between this and Perks of Being a Wallflower. I feel like from last week, and we'll probably talk about that as we get into analysis. But uh, you know, those are the things that work for me. I think the setting is pretty pretty strong uh, in terms of the direction, painting a picture of Bodine, Texas. Um, but yeah, that, that's what works for me. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you say, Mr. Arthur Gordon, about the roller derby and also? about whip it uh roller derby has always kind of intrigued me i i 
I know Oklahoma City has has teams or at some point has had teams. I, I know because I remember uh, I used to work at Starbucks and they would come in and put up posters for events at the fairgrounds. Uh, and I always kind of wanted to go because it seems like a very interesting uh, thing to go watch. Uh, and with that, I think that's the kind of the greatness of Whippet movies like that I always like when these kind of fun fact. Uh, Oklahoma City's at the time now defunct roller derby team uh, went bankrupt and had to sell their track to the movie. And that's the track yep. that you see in Whippet was played on by our very yep. own Oklahoma City roller derby team. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, but I always like it when uh, we get sports movies about sports that aren't super popular or super well, you know, in the in the spotlight or whatever. So that's. Uh, something I really appreciate about Whippet. And like Dalton said, I echo a lot of his stuff. The cast is great. The ensemble is great. Uh, I always love seeing Aaliyah Shawkat and Zoe Bell and um, Kristen Wiig. I love Kristen Wiig so much. And so I was excited to see her here. And Ellen Page is great. And everybody's great, like Dalton said. The direction's really strong. Um, I like all that about it. It has this kind of really kind of hipster before hipster thing was a, a, a probably a known term, this kind of vibe about it where, you know, we're in Austin that kind of has this connotation with it. And we see the Alamo draft house yep. and all that kind of great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of appreciate that, that vibe it puts off. Um, but for me, the big thing, and I do like the movie, I think it's super easy to watch. I think it's just charming and sweet and everybody's having a great time. Like there's so many great moments, like even the food fight, like I could never get a read on how villainous Juliet Louis character is. Right, she's very, very kind of salty and jealous of of the success. Yeah, but at the same time, there's a playfulness between these these ladies and these teams, and that food fight comes off almost as just a silly one-upsmanship type of thing. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It doesn't come across as too particularly vindictive. And yeah. Juliet Lewis, yeah, never comes across. And you know, when we get into spoiler territory, there, there's a dramatic moment where there's a moment where she could. Yeah. Ha- could have been made to be more villainous, but no, she's not really trying to cut yeah. anybody down. She's just playing the game. She's on- messing with her. Yeah, she's playing yeah. on and off the track. And all. I appreciate that about that character. Yeah. And I and uh, just there's some moments of just playfulness amongst the cast. It just seems very earnest and almost maybe improv. Uh, I appreciate all that. That being said, the narrative of this film is a mess. I I think the first hour of this film is money, uh, but almost exactly at the one hour mark, it hits a wall. And it introduces as many cliche twists into the narrative as it can. There are like five yeah. conflicts yeah. within the plot. Like, already we've got the conflict about her age, right? I mean, that's pretty set up early on that her age is like she's hiding it. Yeah. So that seems like a major conflict. Or the conflict with her mom. But then there's so much other stuff that goes you know the the romantic storyline has a conflict and her friendship has a conflict and it all happens in about a 10 minute span yeah and it drags the movie down really bad um but then the third act is a lot of fun once it moves past all of that garbage uh, and we get to that final championship match i think it it evens out and ends well um but that really hurts it for me um but overall i think it's a great film i think it's a lot of fun i enjoyed watching it the second time i've seen it and I think I enjoyed it more this time uh, than the first time I watched it. And I really appreciate uh, what's going on here. So I, I, I'm pretty positive on this one. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I like the movie a lot, too. I think it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I do think Drew Barrymore, as you guys have said, is doing a good job in the shooting of the film as well. And, and you know, you mentioned the roller derby scenes themselves, Dalton. I think also there's that love scene uh, in the swimming pool that uses a love scene grammar that is not typical 
of, uh, you know, sort of male-centric cinema. And so she does have her own voice. It's less – it's more subdued than, it w- than in other places, so it's not super, super idiosyncratic or something like that. However, there's a lot of that going on. The performances, as you guys mentioned, are a lot of fun. And, yeah, it, it's a very, very solid movie, and it is dealing with those great questions of just – growing up and how do you negotiate becoming a semi-adult while still under the uh, authority and rule of a set of parents what does that even look like and i think this is you know again i'm sure we'll talk about this more in a little bit but probably the best depiction of child parent relationships we've gotten out of this marathon so far i would yeah i I, I would at least i would at least say the the most depth uh we, we got some good uh child parent stuff in boys in the hood but i think there's a lot more going on um I don't want to undercut Boys in the Hood because we all talked about how much we love Lawrence Fishburne as Furious Styles, but I feel like there's there's more discussion of how those just how messy those relationships can be, right? Yeah, and I think this film is more about that relationship. Yeah. That that indeed it's an important sort of linchpin for what's going on in Boys in the Hood. But Boys in the Hood is about a, a larger degree of uh, situations and circumstances, most of them socioeconomic. And so yeah. it's it, it's really wrestling with what it means to live in South Central Los Angeles and not so much, you know, that yeah, indeed this affects your friendship with your peer group and it affects your relationship with your mother and more fleshing out is given to that relationship with the father. But this movie is is really about that mother-daughter relationship and that's the sort of the fundamental um, – not, not a linchpin so much as a keystone. Without it, the whole thing just sort of falls apart. So um, that metaphor was weird and wonky. I don't think it actually works. But my point is it's much more important. Uh, so I like it a lot, and I definitely uh, am excited to be talking about it more. And so let's do that. But before we can do that, Dalton has to say some stuff that we don't care about. Would you do that? Yeah, I guess I will. Um, as the years and months wind on and the Internet becomes more and more a representation of our – our darkest emotions, this gets harder to do. But I will encourage you, listener, to find us on the Internet, even though it is akin to asking you to ride a Razor scooter from the year 2002 down a freeway uh, on tires made out of cold cuts. Uh, that's what the Internet feels like most days. I know. Look, I, Dustin's making a face like that doesn't track. Arthur feels more okay with that metaphor, I feel like. Uh, yeah, the Internet's shitty. And nope, never mind. They're both not okay with that metaphor. Moving right along, this is the part of the show where I tell you how to find us on the internet, which I am reluctant to do at best. Uh, we are on Twitter. That is at good underscore trash. And probably the best way to find us where we are most active on the internet. Uh, that is where you can find things not just about this show, the Good Trash Honor Cast, but all the things we're doing at Good Trash Media, including uh, our. Uh, our, one of our, our beloved show that we were able to bring under our wing uh, early under their run, uh, The Praise Down with Heath and Alex. That continues to go strong, uh, but we also promote other things. I like... should be appearing on The Praise Down by the by in the next week or so, dear listeners. Oh, well, so. isn't that wonderful? Uh, we also do things like uh, promote uh, Paneled, uh, a new podcast that our own Heath Huffman is on. It's not part of the Good Trash Media Network, but it's a podcast uh, where they uh, go through comic books, and they kind of try to do an audiobook type thing for comics it's, it's a really cool experiment that they're working on uh they're not just releasing podcast episodes but also free audiobooks uh of comics which is a really cool thing that they're doing over there so that's paneled uh, again with our very own heath huffman and so, some other uh very cool people working on that over there uh but again that is going to be at good underscore trash if you find want to find out what we're up to and also you know what film essays we're reading what film news we're excited about 
Uh, we are also on the currently losing money Facebook, which is delightful. Uh, that's facebook.com forward slash GTM. We don't spend a lot of time on there. We're also on Instagram. That's good trash media on Instagram, uh, where you can, uh, you know, find stuff when Arthur feels like putting up some pretty pictures related to film. Uh, look, I've just told you a lot of ways to get in touch with us via social media. I'm going to go ahead and say you don't need to worry about that. If you're not already on social media, stay off. It's, uh, it's too hard to get out once you get in. That, that's what I've got to say about that. If you're thinking, well, how in the world will I tell you what I think about your dumb shit show? Uh, well, there's an easy way to do that. Email. Email still works. It's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com, the best way to send us your long-form, non-social media feedback. Uh, tell us what you think about the show. What, what are your likes, your dislikes? Hit us up with that. Uh, you could always give Dalton a call at 405. Uh, Don't do that. Nope, nope, nope. Mm-mm. No. He loves when you add him. Whether online or in person, just don't, go ahead and call don't, them. Don't do it, please don't. Well, look, I know that I've, I, I'm, don't please, just don't. I don't need that in my life. Uh, the, the, Arthur really threw me off my groove. I remember what I was talking about. So, email if you want to stay off social media. A great way to get a hold of us. Um, if you want to help support the show financially, uh, we will never demand you do that. This will always be free. But if that's something you're interested in, uh, that was a weird way to say that word. You can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM to find all of our bonus content there. Most of it available to you for just a buck a month. Uh, there's some other more uh, higher tier rewards if you're willing to give some more money, such as us picking out a film to send you or... Um, some some less regular content. I don't. Isn't some of our extra content over there locked behind the three dollar? Yeah. So at a dollar you get quarterly content, and three dollars you get monthly content. And uh, I think we follow you on Twitter, and then it goes up from there. We can send you a curated uh, DVD or Blu-ray. We stay pretty on brand with that. So uh, yeah. Thank uh, you, Arthur. You could pick a movie for us to talk about someday. That's true. That is, I I, I would think, one of the, the funner ones. Uh, I, I think that's pretty neat. So, and again, that's patreon.com forward slash GTM if you want to help keep the lights on over here. If you are thinking, man, I really like this show and I would like to be part of it and help it out, but I don't want to throw money at them, also perfectly fine. You can just rate, review, and subscribe to the show however you get podcasts in your ears. And most importantly, you can just have a conversation with somebody you like and uh, tell them about the show. That's really the best way to spread the outreach of what we're doing here. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I believe now we will awaken Arthur, and because it is time to play the game. And we're back with this week's game, which is Lesser Discussed Sports Films. That's right. Lesser Discussed Sports Films, brought to you by Whip It. Whip It. It's a movie about roller derby. There's only two of them. We're going to try to bring you some movies that there's also only two to three or four at most movies about that sport. Very good. So here we go. We are doing the thing. I'm going to yeah, go. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of football, basketball, baseball movies. There so, are. Yeah, yeah, we're staying away from those three. Yeah. And I think pretty much anything else is on the table. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. So I hit you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What say you? Uh, my first pick is going to be the one and only Rush from director Ron Howard. I like that voice that you're doing oh, over there. You. Yeah, that's, I don't know what's going on. I like that a lot. Um, 
I'm putting in Rush here at the bottom of my list just because it's been a while since I saw it in theaters, but I liked it a lot. Uh, the based on the true story of the the Formula One racers, I don't know anybody's name, but I know Daniel Brühl is in it, mm-hmm. and uh, Chris Hemsworth is in it, and they are just great. Yeah, uh, these guys had a feud. I can't remember their names either. Though. Yeah, it's, yeah, I don't remember. It's been a few years since I've seen the movie, but it was very, very good. It was gritty, kind of sexy, um, and surprising. I. I didn't know really what to expect, uh, but I was pleasantly pleased by uh, what Ron Howard put together with that film. Um, and it just show, it introduced me to Daniel Brühl, who is just a phenomenal actor, uh, great guy, great great actor. I, I enjoy watching him uh, since then. Uh, and it really showed another side of Chris Hemsworth, who's more than just this kind of sexy man hunk. Uh, gave him a chance to do a little more. He and is I a sexy hunk. He that's is. For sure. He is. Is he the best of the Chris's? You know, look, it's between him and. Him and Pine, I think. I gotta say, my personal preference is for Pine, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but he's 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 up. I mean, they're but all... Evans is salty on Twitter. <sighs> he's, he's very good. He's living that Captain America thing. Yeah, he really is going out there trying to fight for truth and justice, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he is. God, they're all so good. They're great. I mean, all the Chris's are great. Yeah, they're all wonderful. Anyway, like, why choose? Back to Rush. I don't know if there's a lot of Formula One racing films, or if it is Formula One. I don't care. I think don't it's know. Formula One. But I yeah, believe there's, that's right. There's not that many race car yeah. movies. Not not enough good ones anyway. Probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, that day, even if you brought it out to all racing, it's that Days of Thunder and Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Yeah, and obviously Rush is probably the best of the pack, or Days of Thunder. I was going to go to bat for Ricky Bobby, yeah. but that's just me. I'm not on board with that movie. <laughs> anyway, needless to say, Rush, that's my first film. Dalton, go. I will go. In fact, I will go right into hockey. Now, probably a, a, a sport that there are some movies. You know, you got your slap shots. Uh, you've got... I guess three Mighty Duck films, the three Mighty Duck films, Happy Gilmore, kind of, but mostly about golf. But I, I think fair to say kind of fallen out of favor. It's not the most popular sport in the world. It, it's mostly the Canucks and uh, Midwesterners. Right. I mean, that's that's about it because, fair. yeah, it's hot everywhere else. Um, but I, I'm a really big fan of the, the goon films. Uh, we've talked about them a couple of times on the show, I think. Um, but this is just yet another opportunity for us to sing the praises of goon and goon to the last of the enforcers starring Sean Williams, Scott, um, Lee Schreiber and, um, oh my gosh, Jay Rochelle. There we go. Uh, who has his directorial debut with the second film. Um, look, I'm not going to pretend both of these films aren't super problematic because Jay Burchell's character in them is a real douchebag. Uh, with th- that's literally the only way I can think to put it. it. Says some pretty gross stuff in both of those films, and yet, despite that, two films that have a, a really just kind of charming emotional heart. Uh, there, there is a lot of really beautiful empathy. I think in both of those films, they're about really fully formed characters, despite it being a you know, pretty silly sports movie about punching people in the teeth more than playing hockey sometimes. Uh, the the first film very much feels like a Rocky-type thing, uh, and they kind of double down on that with the sequel and just go ahead and make it about Rocky two and Rocky three, but with hockey. And I, I kind of love the the shameless uh, riffing that goes on in those films, especially in Goon 2. I mean, it is actively just the plot of Rocky three for most of the movie. Uh up to and including a scene where he has to learn to punch with his left hand instead of his right hand. Uh, really great stuff. Uh, I'm a big fan of those movies. You've seen them both as well, Arthur. I've right? only seen the first Goon. I haven't seen the sequel. Okay, okay. But uh, I like the first one quite a bit. I recommend the sequel too. I, I think they're they're both just really charming and make me kind of care about hockey a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to start watching it because I don't watch any sports. It's just too much time. Yeah. 
But uh, big fan of both of those films. Strongly recommended from me. Dustin, what's your pick number one? Well, I know it chewed my tongue off earlier because my number first pick is Days of Thunder. Tony Scott, I mean, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. Yeah, I love it. It's a great movie. I love it. It's a lot of fun. It's got a lot of the sort of uh, north-south, although it's more of an east-south or west-south sort of, I said east, west-south. North by northwest. It is is cardinally um, confused in many ways, (laughs) or is it just me? But no, I like Days of Thunder. What what do you mean, though, uh, with this this west-south thing you're talking about? Well, he's from California and they're all a bunch of southern good old gotcha, boys. Gotcha, gotcha, And so okay. that, that was like this sort of Yankee versus the South kind of yeah, thing. Gotcha. Which is a funny joke because isn't he a Yankee? But no, he's from California. Gotcha, okay. Right, so, well, no, not really. But anyone not from the South is a Yankee. And so it's dealing with some of that kind of stuff. It's great performance for Robert Duvall. Randy Travis is in this movie. It's it, it's good. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Tony Scott can direct the stew out of an yeah. action movie. And mm-hmm. uh, you don't see a lot of NASCAR uh, with the exceptions of your Talladega Nights, as you no. guys mentioned. Uh, that you're going to get to see. So I, I would recommend Days of Thunder. Wait, as... is Days, of, Days of Thunder's NASCAR? I thought it was Formula One. No, it is NASCAR. It's NASCAR. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, there... It's better cars. It, it's, it's, it's cars. <laughs> <laughs> there is cars. So, all right. Well, there you go. Uh, there is cars or there are cars. How would you conjugate that particular verb? There are cars. There is cars. There is cars because cars is a singular film. Yeah. Yes. There are the cars films. You're right. Okay. There, there, yep. yeah. there is cars. Man, cannot believe we got wrapped up in the semantics of that one. Oh. Arthur, what's your number next <laughs> pick? My number next pick is a movie about wrestling that's not about wrestling at all. It's not that one. Oh. It is Foxcatcher. <laughs> okay. Um uh, it is a fascinating. It's like Moneyball. You know, Moneyball is a baseball movie, but it's not really about baseball. It's about everything else mm-hmm. that's just kind of framed around baseball. And Foxcatcher is that. It's a fascinating true story of you know kind of mental illness and paranoia and and murder and you know all that stuff and and just uh, the performances of Carell and and Ruffalo and Channing Tatum. Uh, they're all great, and I, I like that movie a lot. I, I I really feel it went under the radar the year it came out. It, I well, it did for me because I saw the trailers and I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. Steve Carell's got prosthesis on. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is this. It just felt too too manufactured yeah. in, in the you know the Oscar bait laboratory yeah. for me. But it, it works for you. I I, I loved it. I, I thought it was great. Um, it's it's definitely slower paced. I mean, you mm-hmm. have to be prepared for that. But I no, I think fine. it's wonderful. And uh, Steve Carell's just. He's great. I, I, he's he's slowly becoming one of my favorite actors. I think he, he can do anything. Um, and Foxcatcher is just it's just a fascinating story. Just that story of Dupont mm-hmm. and the brothers and everything that went down is just interesting. You know, and made me want to go out and read or see the documentaries that were come out. They did two or three different documentaries about it. Um, but yeah, it's a film I thought was underseen, and I, I I was kind of surprised because I think it came to Oklahoma for like a week or two, and I was able to catch it uh, in theaters. But I was really expecting it to be a Best Picture nominee, so I kind of thought I would be able to see it later. Uh, but it missed the nomination. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got the director nomination, some acting stuff, but it missed the Best Picture, and I was kind of surprised. Um, I, yeah, I'm a big fan of Foxcatcher, and I, I definitely think it's, you know, we don't have a lot of, like, collegiate yeah, There's not a lot of great wrestling. wrestling, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, there's that. There's win-win. Well, that leads perfectly into my number next. There you pick, go. Which was setting you up. Yeah, thank you. I was very afraid you were going to say win-win. Oh, okay. <laughs> which, just out of curiosity, what wrestling movie did you think I thought you were the going wrestler. to say? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A, a, a good one. We might, we might come back to that. Yeah. Uh, as Arthur mentioned, not a lot of uh, Greco-Roman wrestling films. And no, win-win. Uh, it's those two and then the scene in Ladies' Man. Yeah. That's uh, where oh Will Ferrell strips down. Ugh. Ladies' man is an underappreciated Like they film. shoved two hands at the back of her dress. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh I my love goodness. that movie. It's so dumb, but I love it. Uh, 
but we'll talk about that later. No, right now we're going to talk about Win Win starring Paul Giamatti um, and uh, a kid whose name I cannot remember. Uh, I think Burt Young. Yep, there we go. It's Burt Young, uh, who I don't Nope, That's an older guy. I don't know who plays the kid in that movie. Not important. We'll keep moving on for, for now. Uh, it's directed by Tom McCarthy. Uh, I don't know many people that have seen this film, uh, but I really, really like this movie. Um, it, it, I think uh, one of Tom McCarthy, uh, who I first came to know as um, a really obnoxious reporter on the fifth season of The Wire, mm. uh, but has uh, done quite a few things lately uh, in terms of directing. But I think Win Win um, is kind of in the middle of his career. It was uh, the first that I saw of his films. Uh, but he uh, most recently got a whole bunch of accolades for doing Spotlight. Uh, but before that, he did Win Win about uh, Paul Giamatti teaching this kid to wrestle. Um, it's about so much more than that, as these films often are. Uh, Giamatti uh, doing what he does best, playing a sad sack um, who is, finds a way to find his, his zest for life again by teaching this this kid to wrestle. And uh, yeah. it's been quite a few years since I've seen it, uh, so I'm going to be honest that there are a lot of plot details that uh, I have forgotten at this point. But I just really, really appreciate the movie. Um, Alex Schaefer, by the way, is yeah. the uh, the kid in the film who uh, hasn't done a whole lot since then. It's got a great cast, though. It really does. Amy Ryan. Uh, Bobby Cannavale. Yeah. I love Cannavale. It's, it does have an extremely strong cast. Uh, but again, it's, it's you know, pretty standard story. Troubled kid, sad old man, sad old man finds a way to help the troubled kid. And by helping the troubled kid, finds a way to help himself. Fun fact, that's actually one of the uh, first uh, preview screenings I attended here in Oklahoma City. No kidding. Before I got on the press list, I, I, I worked at Starbucks, and they would come by and bring tickets to be like you know admit to or whatever mm-hmm. you go wait in line and i was like i i went and I'd, I'd gone to a couple i think this was one of the first ones and i went and i i got there and i saw that there's a reserve section mm-hmm. i'm like how do i get in that section and so uh push came to shove and i got in that section yeah you did uh but yeah that was and then you got to grad school and then you got here yeah. yep really hey. it really was a downward spiral yeah. <laughs> more than anything really i started a lot stronger been. than i ended <laughs> Much like Paul Giamatti in this yes. film. Uh, and again, I, there's nothing that unconventional happening in this film. It's pretty standard. But I, it just it just really hums. Giamatti's great. Um, his, his relationship with this kid is portrayed really wonderfully. Um, and I think it does a lot to show... I, I think combat sports get a bad rap. Um, and rightfully so. I mean, at the end of the day, it becomes, you know, human cockfights at a certain extent. Especially with, you know, the betting that goes on at the, mm-hmm. the Vegas level. But... Uh, well, and the commodification of poverty and uh, the lies of, uh, you know, telling uh, somebody that comes from a, from a, oh, a disenfranchised socioeconomic background, telling them if they get punched in the head enough, they can have some money. There's some problems. But I, I think this film does a really good job of looking at where they can go right. You find a kid who likes to get into fights and stuff, and you point that in a direction that is team-based, that is inner-focused on trying to better oneself instead of hurt other people. And I, I think th- this film does a good job of, of showing where... Because, look, team sports are not for every kid. Uh, it's uh, it's just not for everybody. And I think Win-Win does a really good job uh, of painting a sport that kind of gets a bad rap, as it does in Foxcatcher, um, is my understanding. But it, it just... It's, it's sweet and tender and just a, a, an adorable film. So Win-Win is my, my number next pick. 
All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. And speaking of uh, intergenerational sort of interaction, uh, my next pick is a slight cheat, but I don't care. I can do what I want. It's my podcast. All mine. Just mine. Oh, okay. Better not be a baseball movie. It is not a baseball movie. Or football. It, it is a movie in which there is a sport in which you see mostly the practice for said sport, yeah. and the sport itself is more of a metaphor for what's going on. I'm talking about Ang Lee's Pushing Hands. Oh, it, yeah. Yeah. In which there's, I mean, the Pushing Hands is a real sport in china uh mostly you see mr chu doing his tai chi and uh the pushing hands itself is a metaphor for not crashing against the separation of american and chinese culture of an older and a younger generation but it is a wonderful wonderful story using this particular uh competitive form of uh, the chinese martial arts specifically within tai chi uh where you do push hands competitions but pushing hands as a metaphor for this uh, just Try to negotiate your place where you're not butting up against each other, power against power, but rather trying to absorb and work in some sort of synergy one to another and together. And so, yeah, it's a great movie. It's it's Ang Lee's. It's first this sort of a father knows best trilogy he calls it, which is funny. And uh, but it's it, it's a great little movie. Uh, last I saw was free streaming on Amazon Prime, so it is available to you if you are an Amazon Prime subscriber. And uh, I recommend you check it out. Number last, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Let's hear it. It is the aforementioned Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler. Now we can sit here and argue the semantics of whether or not professional wrestling is a sport. It is. I will fight you if you uh, want to fight me on that it is. topic. Regardless. That would be a sport for sure. Yes. Uh, just because it's uh, performative does not mean it's not an athletic performance. Moving on. I'm just saying Arthur fighting Dalton would be a sport I would watch. I'm not going to fight Arthur. Are you ever. sure? No. I, po- I would, yeah, absolutely positive. I will buy tickets. Okay. No. no not going to do that. I'd have to go for your back. It's the only way I could survive, and I don't want to do that. Yeah. I've got a bad back. So. I, yeah, it's it's my only option, Arthur. Yeah, it really is. Otherwise, you would just crush my head like on Game of Thrones. <laughs> just, just squeezed. <laughs> like a lollipop. <laughs> anyway. Darren Aronofsky, the wrestler. Wait, you squeeze lollipops? Don't you? No. Oh, I must be the weirdo then. I do. I eat them. Yeah, you squeeze them with your teeth. Uh, <laughs> we're doing... How many licks does it take to get them in a lollipop? One, two, three. Oh. Yeah, exactly. There you go. And that's yeah. how long it takes to crush Dalton's You head. are getting completely off target hey, here. Hey, I, yeah, hey. lick it twice and then I just <laughs> crush it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, boy. So, Arthur, tell me about that movie where Mickey Rourke <laughs> does turnbuckle stuff. Yeah. That is the one. Um, I think it's just a it's a great movie. And it's it's really, it feels authentic and it feels honest in its portrayal of this the lifestyle. I mean, um, there's really this kind of... Up until probably the late 80s or early aughts, there was this – when there was a paradigm shift, a lot of those guys that came up in the 70s and 80s especially, I mean, they made a lot of money and they lived like rock stars and then they just kind of blew it all, killed their bodies, and they didn't have anything to fall back on except for trying to relive those glory days at small things where they were charging for their photo appearances or things like that. And, I, you know, I think uh, the wrestler really captures that. It captures that uh, – that kind of passion and that kind of desperate uh, measure that uh, Mickey Rourke's character has to go through. Um, and I just really appreciate it. I think it's a beautiful film. It's a, uh, It feels a lot like the story of one like Jake the Snake Roberts, uh, which it really feels modeled after. Yeah. Um, and it's a really, I mean, it's heartbreaking. It's tragic. You know, there's families are destroyed type of thing because of having to travel so much and so it's you know him coming to terms with all of that and where he is in life at this point and you know the decision he makes whether to go out in a you know one last blaze of glory or just kind of 
stay behind the deli counter and, and keep cutting meat is it's it's just a fascinating portrayal I think and you know Mickey Rourke's kind of comeback tour with that film was just fascinating and kind of stopped after Iron Man two uh, which was a tragedy because he showed a lot of promise there and in the wrestler yeah it's it's weird that that comeback tour just kind of up and ended that yeah. leads me to believe that uh, working with him might not be a, yeah. a, a terribly wonderful time. I feel like this, this might be the kind of a reputation he had when he was younger too, right? It's, I believe so. Yeah. So, but whatever you know, whatever it may be, I, I, Darren Aronofsky is kind of working a little more linear uh, and classical with that film, and it's 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 great to see. And so I'm going to go with the wrestler. Excellent. I like that pick a lot. I love that. I in fact own that movie, and yeah, I I love that pick a lot. Mr. Donald Stewart, what is your number last pick? My number last pick is another combat sports film. It is the great men's weepy warrior, starring Joel Edgerton and Tom that Hardy. So good. It's such a. We're gonna end up doing that movie on this show. I yep. really struggle with maybe selecting it, and I'm like, ah, it's too close to boxing. It's, but no, it, it's it's another thing. So I I agree with yeah, your pick. It's as far as I know, like the only mixed. Mo- well, now I guess there's what Red Belt. I'm sure there's a few of those. Yeah, straight to DVD I feel types like there's a Michael J. White movie too, but yeah. I can't remember yeah. what. Maybe it is. a JCVD, no. one of those types. Never of back things. down. There's yeah. a yeah. There's a couple. It's the only good one. Though. Yeah, it's the only good True. one. Facts. It's the only one that does what boxing films does. That says this is. Oh, there is the one with Kevin James. Here comes the boom. Oh. Of course, here comes the masterpiece. The, the American I, Cinematic masterpiece. I, I came very close to seeing that movie in theaters a couple of times because it looked. I saw more moderately charming. Theaters. Look, Kevin James is is not, is nice. What is wrong with us today? <laughs> I think. I look. I'm tired of being. I'm tired of of dunking on things that are easy targets. I think when you talk about films, either for a living or for fun, it's very easy to be too cool for school and talk shit on Kevin James. Or whoever. Let's, yeah. let's stick with Kevin James. It's easy to be mean to Paul Blart Mall Cop. There are other worse cinematic tragi- travesties going on in the world than the Mall Cop movies. Don't Kevin James knows those what are, he's about. Those, those movies are probably not great, but there are worse films out there. No, but, I mean, they do exactly what they do. They know exactly who they're targeted to. I mean, Kevin James knows exactly what he's yeah. doing. I've so got, tell me more about Kevin James and Warrior. Yeah, let's talk, get back on Warrior. Warrior does what great boxing films does do. Uh, and, and Dustin's right. I mean, boxing is well-tread ground, cinematically yeah. speaking. But I think what um, – oh, my gosh, I forgot who wrote that film. Not important. What I think the film Warrior does is crack that nut of figuring out the way that you make a good boxing movie is it's not about boxing. It's about what leads somebody to get punched in the head for fun and for money. And, and Warrior does that by setting it up to be about getting punched in the head for money. It reminds you that people who choose to compete in combat sports competitively at the high you know, economic gaining level are doing so because they don't have a lot of other options. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not good. I mean, don't be wrong. There, there's something to be said for, you know, throwing hands at other people uh, in, a, in a safe, you know, structured environment oh it's fun it's it's a blast um and i i think there's a lot to be to be gained there of channeling and trying to curtail toxic masculinity as it exists in our society a little bit because it's not a problem you can just get rid of overnight you have to redirect it a little bit and i i think that's what combat sports do but when they get to that high competitive money-making level 
it is all about who would choose to get punched in the face for money, and it's people who don't have a lot of economic opportunities. Uh, in this case, Joel Edgerton, as a uh, math teacher who is really struggling on a second mortgage with his, his family, um, and his brother, played by Tom Hardy, doing a not weird accent work for once, um, who, uh, well, we won't talk about his motivations because they're kind of a plot spoiler. spoiler yeah. And it's all about them and their dad. And obviously anybody who wants to punch other people's usually got some daddy issues. Especially when Nick Nolte's your dad. Uh-huh. Well, and, and again, I think the film does a really great job of having that strained father relationship and not being too schmaltzy. Uh, the, the film very smartly has Tom Hardy's character basically set up at the beginning of the movie. I am not here to repair our relationship. I'm here to have you teach me to fight. And they never do repair their relationship. Spoiler no. alert, it never happens. And that's, I think, what's so good about Warrior is it does kind of, while it is very much a cliche, you know, men's weepy, it kind of navigates those pitfalls a little bit more deftly than some films do. Uh, and again, it's just the, the fights are really well shot. It's very, very well performed. I think for me, anyway, it's one of Joel Edgerton's first real breakouts. I mean, he had Animal Kingdom maybe a year or two before that, but this is kind of his his uh, coming out party in uh, American Hollywood cinema. It, it's a film that I've seen two or three times now, and I just keep – I'm shocked every time I watch it that it holds up as well as it does. Um the, I love it. I, I'm just a huge fan of it. Uh, I'm glad you guys like it too, Dustin. I'm glad you almost thought about doing it. Um, the, the director of that film, Gavin O'Connor, is a really high-level, good trash auteur, I feel mm -hmm. like, uh, especially with his problematic but very interesting film, The Accountant, uh, where uh, Ben Affleck uh, – well, we don't need to talk about The Accountant. We'll maybe do it on this show someday because it's very weird. Is he Accountant Ben Affleck or Matt Damon? It's Ben Affleck. Okay. I hadn't seen it, so I didn't, uh, didn't remember. He, he's on the spectrum, and it's a superpower, which is one of the most problematic narratives going the last 10 years. Oh, so he's Will Graham from Hannibal. He's Will Graham from Hannibal, but, you know, with – I don't like army ranger training or something. It's buck wild. But G Gavin O'Connor just makes these kind of very intentionally beer to your movies and tries to find the juice that uplifts them. And I, I think he did James got a gun, right? Yeah. He, well, complicated. I think he was like the third director on uh, okay. it. He kind of came on as a favorite of Joel Edgerton is my understanding. Um. Yeah. He, he came in late in the game to finish it out. But uh, I like Evan O'Connor a lot. I, I think he does kind of interesting B movies uh, with Warrior kind of being the pinnacle for his career. Cool. Well, my number last pick is actually a sports movie for sure. The underrepresented sport of rugby. And I'm looking at uh, Lindsay Anderson's 1963 British New Wave film, This Sporting Life, starring the great Richard Harris. Oh, wow. And, man, it's good. I've young, never heard of this movie. Young Richard Harris. And it's about class. It's about yeah. finding so Because he's playing rugby. Rugby League, not Rugby Union. Rugby Union is professionalized. Rugby League is much more amateur, but there is some pay involved at this point. It's a strange it's like double A ball, basically. It, yeah, it's a very, very strange sort of up and coming kind of structure. And he's dealing with issues of alcoholism, issues of class, issues of uh, sexual politics with this uh, woman who is his landlord, also his lover. And what way they can find a life because she's still mourning the loss of a dead husband and what that all means. It's a very, very complicated kitchen sink drama that is circled around professional, semi-professional rugby. It sounds in fucking Northern. awesome. It's a great movie. Yeah, it sounds great. It is a really incredible all film. All the things you just said are all the reasons that Warrior is good. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. It, it very much is a, a kindred spirit, uh, a spiritual sibling to yeah. Warrior, I would think. And Richard Harris 
kills it in his performance. It is just really pretty impressive. So if you like Sunday morning and Sunday night, or Saturday night and Sunday mornings, Arthur, uh, the Albert Finney British New Wave film, you will love the sporting life. I'll check it out then. So yeah, yeah. Put it on the list, dear listener. Well, those are our selections of our favorite underrepresented sports films. We'd like to hear your selections via those social media uh, outlets that we've already mentioned uh, earlier in the show. So enough of these shenanigans. I believe now it's time to get down to business. Hello, everybody. I'm not ready. <laughs> you are the worst. You knew he was going to do it. You knew he was going to do it. I just want to let it happen. I was just trying to be organic and natural by um, manufacturing the entire situation. Isn't that how it works? That's exactly how you make a podcast. Welcome yep. to the sausage and how it's made. <laughs> God. I didn't know where that was going for a second. <laughs> Words are hard. Oh, no. Hey. I'm uh, sorry. I keep th- I'm still thinking about rewatching Warrior, apparently. Uh, we're going to stop talking about sausage and this coming of age story about We will about never women. stop talking about sausage in this household. <laughs> And let's <laughs> let's talk about things we have no business talking about, having never been Spider-Man mothers. Spider-Man three and a half. Nor daughters. Any of us. Spider-Man three and a half is a good joke in this movie. Uh, Jimmy Fallon, not to be confused with Jimmy Kimmel. Kimmel. Yeah, you made that you made that mistake <laughs> off air Kimmel. earlier. <laughs> it's my Jimmy, um, my fallacy, my fallacy um, that I'm trying to make there. I'm stealing Arthur. I don't even care. Hey, this movie's about um, getting away from mom and dad. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, it does that real good, huh? Yeah, I like that. <laughs> it does good movie thing. Well, here's the See thing. you next week. <laughs> Me fail English. Impossible. Bye. Um, hi. Whip, it's a good film. I think what this film captures so well, with Shauna Cross's uh, screenplay and and uh, Drew Barrymore's direction and, you know, all the, the assembled uh, behind-the-scenes the team do really, really effectively in Whip It is show the ways in which Ellen Page's character loves her mom but finds her completely and utterly vexing. And at the same time, find a way to show how her mother loves her and finds her completely and utterly vexing. And I, I think that's just part of child-parent relationships. It's, I don't think it's it's just specific to mother-daughter relationships. I think that's child-parent yeah. relationships. I love Can how, confirm. Yeah, I, I love how complex that relationship is. Because it's easy to just make it a simple conflict and just it's two character arcs that are butting heads i want you to do this yeah. and you want to do the other and ah but there's a lot of complexity to it when we get to the scene you know when she's had her spat she's found out about her boyfriend giving away the striper shirt the striper shirt's a great running gag in this Man, movie it, it is um but when she finds out about that and she's you know crying and her mom comes home i mean they've had their argument or whatever but there's still that kind of moment i mean it's bigger than that it's bigger than the blue bonnet thing and bigger than roller derby this is life happening yeah um but it, it navigates i think that those relationships especially the mother-daughter thing it navigates it so well um there's such complexity to it that it's it's more than just it's my way the highway or you know it's more than those kind of character arcs and i appreciate uh the way that all kind of pans out i do think daniel stern's kind of a homer simpson dad here yeah. a little bit kind of a shy away from conflict guy yeah. you know he's got his he's at the office eating pizza about to go into a meeting or yeah, something like that so or, good. Um, he's a lot of fun but he just he does feel kind of like a very late 90s 2000s bumbling homer simpson as dad but i think they have some fun with him because i do he, oh, no he, i do his, yeah. his entire arc is he never anticipated having daughters and he hasn't really 
considered how to navigate that. And yeah. he's realized he's waited until his kid was 17 years old to actually put any thought into it other yeah. than, hey, I love you, and I'm going to try to keep you and your mom from fighting. Yeah, the, the, I, I love you, but I'm totally disinterested in anything you might possibly do. Yeah. And realizes that he's been missing out on being interested in what she's into. Mm-hmm. I, I love the moment where she catches him uh, in his van watching football games yeah. thinking he's doing something uh, salacious in yeah. there. Uh, and they have this moment where she's like, hey, can I have a beer? And he's like, no, you can have a sip of mine. And she kills it. And he realizes, my kid, I, I don't know everything about my yeah. kid. And it's not like a Urgh, moment. It's like a, I've been missing out. This kid is is interesting. Yeah. Uh, and she knows what a blocker is. But yeah. She, yeah. She, she, even though she has no interest in football, has, like it's, it's a. Well, you can recognize a good block if you know roller derby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he doesn't quite understand why she has this knowledge, but he realizes that. This kid that he's found so mysterious since she stopped being cute and tiny has a really in- complicated inner life, and yeah. uh, it, it's a really great moment. They don't get as many great moments as her and Marsha Gay Harden do, but uh, it's a it's a great small moment. Now I love what you guys are saying, and I agree, but I also have a problem. And okay, I, w- I want to address that regarding this Daniel Stern and Ellen Page relationship, and that is the way in which he finds a way to finally connect to her is that she puts on um, something of a masculine front, that she does something that fits boy-level stuff in his brain, if that makes sense. Sports? Sports, particularly by uh, combat, uh, full contact sports. By doing those things, then he's able to pay attention. Then he's able to, to, to acknowledge, instead of saying, my daughter is a beautiful creature who I love, and if she's into tiaras and beauty pageants, awesome, I should care about that because I should care about her. It's, it's her accommodating to his expectations and wishes um, that she be something other than she – although it's a realization that this is who she really is. Yeah. But the thing is is that he's disinterested when he thinks that she's not what he wants her to be, and that's a problem. I, I think part of it – I think you're right. I mean th- that is there. I think the film navigates that by it, it not just being he thinks it's cool. I think him thinking it's cool helps him find a little bit more interest in it, but it's realizing – how much she's into it, yeah, and it, it makes it easier for him to go to bat for her to to his wife. Not yes, it's it's something that he has uh, a clear line from his interests to her interests that helps, but it becomes more about hey, it doesn't matter what she's into; she's into this thing, and we cannot risk losing her by keeping her away from a thing she loves. And that's the moment of reconciliation. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think so, too. But, I mean, but you're right. It's complicated, but yeah. it, just, it feels like once she conforms to his sort of, you know, wishing she was a boy instead, by doing that, then he's interested. And I was like, that is a, a source of a little consternation for me. I, I think that problem's there, but I think it, it gets around that very successfully by allowing those moments to be rooted in character, yes, not I, just in yeah. action. Correct. Um, I, I think the moment for me that as Arthur – I want to talk about that moment again that Arthur was speaking about um, when she comes home after she's been um, – mm. Ellen Page's character has been um, – Bliss has been AWOL for like four days, five days. She's yeah, been she running. runs away. And, yeah, yeah. She's, she's been living with um, Maggie Mayhem. Ma- Maggie Mayhem, thank you. She's been living with her and her, her kid. She comes home, and it's it's seeing this relationship with a, quote, cool mom, a mom that's not that much older than her, and, and getting some perspective on what it is like to be a parent uh, because she has a friend that's a parent. That was helpful to me, uh, and having friends that were parents, not just Dustin, but other people in my life who had kids. Yeah, I'm um, not that helpful. No, you were fine. Uh, but I, I, I love that <laughs> moment when she gets home because you're right, Arthur. It's not a typical, like, reconciliation moment. It's it's played much more realistically than yeah. that because there's no big I'm sorry moment. But there yeah. is a 
uh, both of an acknowledgement from both of them that they overreacted and yep. that they they were pushing each other away because they were having a hard time doing anything else. Uh, especially the uh, that that's not your striper T-shirt. That's my striper T-shirt that you gave away. Oh, well, it's the only cool thing you have. No, I that, got cool stuff you don't know about that you know <laughs> of. Yeah, yeah, and it's really great. Uh, I also love. Uh, how horny her parents are for each other. Yes. It's an yeah. adorable touch. It's really cute. Yeah. Let um, the girls go pl- to the football game. Yeah, yeah. But that's it's so cute. It's, yeah, it's it's adorable. Uh, their their interplay is is really really good. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to talk about with the mom and dad and mom and daughter relationships? No, I don't because I want to move on to this idea of tribalism uh, in okay. this film because that's the other thing that I think keeps it from being as popular as it could have been because in the nineties. It was all about finding your tribe, right? Yeah. The, the, we talked about that with Perks of Being Wallflower. Right, yeah. It's all yeah. about, you know. Your cocoon. And... Your cocoon. And it was, and, and that was sort of like that big sort of Generation X postmodern moment. That's why in the 90s, Friends was so popular because it's Friends first and then family, right? And so this is what Ellen Page is discovering is this cocoon of relations uh, within a certain particular kind of tribe. And I think maybe that's part of why the film was less successful because that's t- that, that, that sort of identification only with your specific little clique, whatever it happens to be, kind of gotten out of fashion by that point. Yeah, that's fair. You know, uh, but I, I do want to think about this idea of tribes and tribalisms because I think we live in a time right now where there are tribes and tribalisms, but it's it, it's a slightly different. Uh, Have you been on Twitter? I mean, there's film Twitter, there's music Twitter, mm-hmm. there's yeah, yeah, sports but, Twitter. But are you on both film and music Twitter? I don't even know if I'm on film Twitter. I'm on film Twitter and weird Twitter, and the nexus of those two Twitters is a delight. But as yeah, I mean, look, we're we're teasing your idea out though, right, right. here, Dustin. Yeah, the, their tribalism has kind of evolved a little bit in interesting ways. Well, I'm just thinking about fandom. Like, there's like almost this thing where fandom itself is a thing that you might have your uh, particular sort of groups. You're a Harry Potter person. You're a Tolkien person. Read another book. Games of Thrones person. You're read another book. You're a you're a Walking Dead person. Watch another show. Right, but there is Sorry. there is a, a bit of interaction between the between that world of fandomness. That you're right. What we do now is that we recognize that there are people who are really into that thing, but what they like to do is go to a comic con and be with other people who are into their thing, but also people who are really into the comic book thing that I'm yeah. not into, into the movie thing I'm not into, into the novels or fantasy uh, story thing that I'm not into. And, and that's what the, the roller derby tribe seems to represent, right? It's not any particular one kind of social misfit. It's all, all, all misfits because they're doing something that society does not encourage that often, and that is team uh, interaction, uh, team goal achievement by women. Uh, we we live in a society that doesn't tend to do that a whole lot. Well, uh, they would take over. Well, ex- yeah, exactly. and that's why that's why we live in a society that actively tries to stop them from doing that. But I mean, how many f- women's team sports movies are there? This and a league of their own. Yeah, I can't think of that many more. Um, and that's a damn shame uh, that we don't focus on that more uh, because it, it, I think that's part of what makes Whippet so delightful uh, is getting that interplay. And again, they're not – it's not like Perks of being a wallflower where they're all arts weirdos. Um, yeah, there's some arty-looking weirdos on these teams, but also – uh, Zoe Bell's character is just like a nurse who likes getting in fights. And, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. it's they're, they're all kinds of different 
um, people. And uh, the, the film does a really great job of, you know, we don't really get to know that many of these characters other than, than in small moments like that, like Zoe Bell's character showing up in her scrubs. You know, there's not a lot of character backstory on anybody uh, on the roller derby circuit other than Maggie Mayhem, uh, Chris Wiggs' character, who we know has a child. We don't get a lot to know a lot about them as individuals, but we get to see them interact as a group. And we get these small moments that kind of reveal a lot about who they are. And I think, Dustin, that's where the tribalism here is kind of helpful because Mm -hmm. it says it's not just about, like, it's about how can we merge tribes a little bit, if that makes sense, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think... I mean, this is a word that's loaded because of American history and politics, but a, a more confederate model where you have a confederation of the tribes you yeah. know, is what I'm trying to say. Well, it is, it, it is loaded, yeah, but you know, not loaded in a cool way if we talk about the Iroquois Confederacy. Right, right? exactly. Yeah. We're talking about a confederacy insofar as there is a distinct identity within, but they are also working together for common interests. Lots right? of overlapping Venn diagrams. Yes, yes, yeah. that's exactly what, yes, the overlap of Venn diagrams. Bingo. Um yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that aspect of this. I think one thing that's really cool here uh, is the way in which it talks about trying to buy your way up into the next class. Mm. Uh, because Marcia Gay Harden's character is obsessed with Bliss participating in these you know, kind of debutante pageants. I mean, I had actually forgotten from the last time that I watched this movie. The reveal that her family is super working class is a really cool reveal because you assume from the first scene of the movie that she's got to be a rich kid because yeah. she's at this debutante thing, and you find out that her mom's a mail carrier. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's that's a blue collar ass job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I've talked. My my dad uh, retired from the post office. He wasn't a mail carrier for his entire career there, but uh, he's got some mail carrying stories, and that job yeah. is hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a yeah. A physically strenuous task. Yeah. My mother-in-law actually started working at the post office in her hometown about a year or so ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah I think you told me that. Yeah. And it's, yeah, she's, you know, she's in work at like four in the morning, three in the morning, and has to work like stupid shifts. It's and, an intense yeah. job. It's a tough gig, yeah. yeah. So it, it's interesting that for Marsha Gay Harden's character, she, she thinks what she's doing for Bliss is giving her the tools to buy her way up into yeah. the upper middle class. And to right? get out. And to get out. And what she has to come to realize is that there are other ways to get out than trying to jump up into the next class. Yeah. And I, I think it's a really cool moment of her recognizing that just because she has figured out a possible way doesn't mean she knows the only way to help her kid. Mm-hmm. And that, that recognition, as we already talked about, kind of comes at in multiple points throughout the film. You know, there's no one big moment. It's two or three smaller moments of them kind of reconciling. Uh, but do we have any thoughts on the way that plays out, the way Marsha Gay Harden is putting this thing on her that is coming from a place of love and trying to equip her with skills? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a place of love, and, and but there's also that side of vicarious living, right? You think it, so? I, I think there is, that she is yeah. trying to see her goals accomplished, that she failed yeah. in their accomplishment through the vehicle of her daughter, mm-hmm. and uh, which is a very, very common experience. I, yeah. I hang out with a lot of other parents who are, are who have children around the same ages as mine, and I do see some very, very intense mothers and fathers about seeing to it that their children succeed in sports or in a particular extracurricular activity, what happens to be sports more often than anything. And that's uh, really, really... 
I think in many ways detrimental to the relationship between the yeah. re- between them. Uh, so th- there is that, but I do think the motivation in all of those cases, though, is escape. It is absolutely that this is how you get a scholarship. Yeah, this is how you get a leg up. This is how you get ahead. This is how you're going to be placed through the appropriate school, get the appropriate whatever, and uh, get it all covered. So you need to do this hard, hard work um, that I didn't do, right? But you need to do this hard, hard work in order to get that. But at the other side of that coin, like a parallax, not necessarily a parallel of that, working alongside that desire to see them escape is also the desire to see them succeed where they failed or to succeed better than they did Mm -hmm. in a given situation. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. I I, I tend to agree with Dustin. I I think he outlined that fairly well. I mean, I feel like that that I. What Marsha Gay Harden's character is, it's a pretty standard archetype for the uh, that kind of parent in this film. So, Yeah. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about was roller derby itself because I think this is one of those things where you could look at roller derby as an event and you can look at, you know, Jimmy Kimmel – not Jimmy Kimmel – uh, you do Fallon. again, Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon. Fallon's character. I'm just going to do it all the time. Cause the I don't second want... time he's shown up in this marathon. I know, right? And I just don't watch <laughs> oh Late God, Night TV. you're right. Wow. I had already forgotten that he showed up another time. Yeah. Mm. Almost 10 years apart movies. Yeah. Movie time. Weird. Uh, it's a strange world we live in. Uh, that is the nexus. But what we see, you know, this character is this exploitative element to roller derby. That mm-hmm. it is in part the use of women's bodies um, in an objectified kind of sense in order to provide some sense of entertainment. But within that objectified space, there is also uh, the power of representation, right? The power of seeing a powerful woman and the power of participating, you know, take, get on a pair of roller skates and be your own hero mm-hmm. kind of moment in which Ellen Page finds her own voice. And I, I, I just find that really interesting because it's easy to just give yourself over to one or the other. It's easy to give yourself and say, roller derby's awesome because girl power, right? Or you could say, roller derby's terrible because it's girl exploitation just sort of, you know, coded in some sense of girl power. But I think it's kind of both. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, and I think the film does a really good job by making uh, Hot well, hot Tub Johnny, isn't that what Jimmy Fallon's character? Hot Tub Johnny Tub Rocket. Yeah. Hot yeah. Tub Johnny like Rocket. That's hot, hot Tub Johnny Rocket's a fucking clown. Uh, yeah. And he represents he represents the the male gaze as it is cast on yeah. roller derby a little bit. And he's I mean he's just the butt of the joke, right? Like, yeah. You, there's a great scene where he's trying to get in the hot tub with the the girls. With Ar- it's a, it. even Ari Grainer, who yeah. I love and uh, wish she got more work yeah. because she's great here. She's she's got maybe five lines in this movie, but she's yeah. fun and stuff like Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist okay. and for yeah. a Good Time Call. Yeah, that's it's a great moment of they. Got him to buy a hot tub for his place so the roller derby so could, hang out there. could have a hot tub, yeah. and he's not allowed in the hot yeah. tub. It's a, it's it's a great, great, great bit, and I think this is one of those moments where the fact that the screenplay writer, Shauna Cross, who also wrote a book about being a, a roller derby yeah. uh, participant, um, that's where the, those moments shine through. Is yeah. Only somebody who was active in the sport could have this insight into it and be mm-hmm. able to talk about what Dustin's saying. Yeah, there, there's some male gaze exploitation going on because it's about cute girls with tats wearing short shorts and fishnets. Yes, that's part of it. But it, it finds a really good way to take the piss out of anybody who only sees it for that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And, I, again, it comes from that real-world experience of, you know, kind of adapting her own experiences into the screenplay. Yeah. I, 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 I think this film succeeds with that, you know, that messaging because we do have a female writer yep but a female director and yeah. i think those yeah. are the, the tenets of the success of being able to walk that line and because 
I think that you know Fallon's character does represent that mis- you know the misogyny that is present, the male gaze that is present in the the sport and in that culture. Uh, but he's a joke here, right? I mean, th- there's nothing. Yeah, he's They're, harmless. They, he's do- they harmless. dog on him all the time yeah. because they have all the power, and I think yeah. that's what allows that. Uh, sexualization of roller derby to to not become exploitative, at least as it's presented in this film. I don't really have I, a lot. I don't know, a real world roller derby may be a, a much more complicated picture. Yeah, but yeah, a, as yeah. we know it in the film Whippet, because that's really my only experience with roller yeah. derby, other than you know, no, being aware of some people that have played roller derby, like kind of tangentially, yeah. you know, friends of friends and stuff. Um, but Whippet really being my only experience, it it says that this sexualization comes from a place of chosen sexualization and power a little bit. Yeah. It seems to be the the implication that we're given from the the film. And again, you're right, Dustin. We can't speak to real world roller derby, but as it's presented in Whippet, I think it 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 threads that needle incredibly successfully. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I mean, those are sort of my big burning questions that I had. Was there anything else that really was pressing on you guys that you wanted to discuss in the course of this uh, film discussion? I, I think the the relationship between uh, Bliss and um, Pasha, uh, Lee Shawkat's character, oh, yeah, is yeah, really, important. really cool. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. It's really important because there comes a point where I, I think uh, – that, that's a well-tread uh, friend dynamic, right? There, there's the friend that's less outgoing, but is actually like way more into the parties once they have a friend yeah. that can find a way to get them to parties and actually puts themselves in more positions to get in trouble because they they have uh, no ability to fly under the radar. I was I was that kid. I I, I had no uh, you know skills to get to parties, but once I knew people that would take me to parties, I was who I liked it too much mm-hmm. uh, and was real stupid about it. Uh, and I, I think that's. Pash's character in a nutshell. She She's really excited about being able to cut loose for once in her life because she's focused on trying to get out of their town through academic means and has been uh, hitting the grindstone a little bit too hard, and so she unwinds a little too hard and uh, doesn't think about you know whether or not a cop might be standing nearby when she's holding a beer. Um, and the fracturing of that relationship is really interesting, too, because it comes from a place of our friendship has become dangerous to me. I'm getting in trouble, and I've I've forgotten that I'm trying to get out of here. And I, right. I, I think the ways in which it fractures and comes back together is, is really organic. I mean, their their friendship again. There's no big "I'm sorry" moment. It's just a "I couldn't stay mad at you. How could I possibly stay mad at you?" moment. And I I really I, I love the the portrayal of that relationship. I honestly could use much more of that friendship. And we we don't need the guy. I, that that's what I agree. I'm reading to. We don't need the guy. Yeah. Um, be- it's dumb and ugh, who cares? See, the fracturing of, for me of Pash's relationship with with uh, Bliss doesn't work. Okay, be- just because it feels so much going on there, and right? that's it doesn't work because there's too much going yeah, on. It is almost it like a thing too many for yeah. the film. Yeah, exactly. It, it mean, works with their characters, but it's because we've got these things that are not organic pushed yeah. into the film, like this this dude who's in some yeah some fucking and sounding ass band yeah. your strokes want to be banned yeah it just i don't i don't care about that guy at all no. not uh, even a little bit i was gonna say though regarding the the breakup of that relationship and the sort of fracturing that goes on mm-hmm. it is indeed that she is experiencing that sort of danger to herself and also to her goals and so has to sort of you know make those sort of self-protective choices but i think also it is illustrating uh that thing that happens in high school that Friends grow apart. Yeah. Yeah. That turns out your interests have changed in ways that are sort of surprising. 
and uh, that your lives just sort of diverge. And that's a natural part of it as well. It's like my best friend has got a new set of friends. Yeah. Right. And they continue to support each other too, though, sure. which I think is really important uh, in, in terms of how that relationship is portrayed. But you're right. It, it becomes a part of accepting that there are going to be other people in the lives of people you care about. Yeah, and, and people with whom we knew everything, and we shared everything, and we discussed everything, um, now have other parts of their lives that I don't care about, or I, I'm just I'm just uh, they're they're a foreign country to me. Yeah, and right? I'm happy to be a passive observer there, if in, yeah. if anything. Yeah. So very good. Uh, anything else that we want to uh, pull down out of uh, the Whippet film? Uh, I mean, the, the class stuff was what I, I was most interested to talk about. Was my biggest burning question. So I think this is a good time to bring us to where we've uh, been ending each of these discussions as we've grown up over summer. Is how does this function as a coming of age film? Does it function as a coming of age film? Does it check the boxes that we laid out in that first episode? Arthur, let's uh, let's start with you, as as we have been. I believe, if I remember correctly, for you, the, the boxes that need to be ticked were um, there's a journey and a change, right? Yeah, and I, I think it does. I think it hits those spots. I think um, it's maybe a little bigger. I mean, the whole family has to kind of go through this change, and I think her, you know, it's her growing up is part of that. Uh, but it's definitely, I think, there's that journey into this kind of unknown world. I mean, it's almost this kind of hero's journey thing at play, right? She goes into a different world and. She has the mentor and all that kind of stuff at play, and then she returns back into her her world. So I think that that's all kind of at play, and I think uh, it's definitely checking the boxes for me. I think, yeah, for for me, it, it does get at that ecstatic truth uh, that we I've been talking about. That you know, if it's not literally true, is it at least emotionally true? Is it cinematically true? And again, as we've talked about, the the dynamics of this family I think are, are really ringing true, especially. The sibling who the, the parents can find no fault in and is just delighted. She's like, yeah, I would love to do that. I love doing this, Mom. Uh, and you have the sibling who's like, oh, my God, stop it. You're too young to know that you're being a suck-up, you turd. Um, and, again, the ways in which that r- relationship is reconciled through a, a roller derby makeover is adorable. Um, the stuff with both of her parents, it just, I think, works so well. And, again, thanks in no small part to Ellen Page and Marcia Gay Harden both being first-rate S-tier ass actresses. I mean, they're just both so good and um, do a lot of heavy lifting just through um, selling the emotion of every single moment. So, yeah, for, for me, it definitely works. Dustin, I believe your box had to do with a slaying of a, an internal or external monster, right? That's right. Hansel and Gretel has got to find some way to get the witch in an oven. In this case, the witch is not mom, but mom and her expectations. And mom also has to slay the witch of her own befuddled and lost expectations and so we do see almost two separate journeys twinned and so there is a way in which not only does ellen page come of age but her mother does as well into a new different age that age of relationship with a now adult child and so yeah yeah i think it it definitely ticks my boxes for that and i think we could easily say this is probably the first uh, film in this marathon that has done that, that has showed that coming-of-age moment for a parent recognizing their child as an adult yeah. child. Right? I, think, I so. think it is, yeah. 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 So, well, there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts on Whip It. Now we must come to a point in the show where we render a verdict regarding the film Shelf or Trash and then recommend our else's or instead's. I go to you first, Dalton Stewart. What do you say? Shelf or Trash, else or instead? Look, I know it was my recommendation and uh, fighting for it that got it in this marathon, but I am going to say Shelf. I think uh, it's a forgotten film, and uh, I think it's it's one that you can feel cool for showing to people because I think five, ten years from now, uh, there's not that many people that remember Whip It already. 
Uh, and I think it's going to become even more and more of kind of a cult following film. Um, so I, I would definitely say, yeah, I, I think it's worth shelving. Because, again, how many women's team sports movies are there? This and A League of Their Own. I, I Bring l- it on. Oh, shit. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Damn, that's a great else. If uh, that's not one of my else's, that's a great else for this film, though. But uh, there's and the Bring It On franchise, I guess. I, that's about well, it, though. I've yeah. only seen the, the buck stops one. there, I think. Yeah, and there should be more because, uh, as as Dustin said, uh, if we lived in a society that encouraged that more, maybe we'd finally have less dudes running amok because they would take over, and that would be a good thing. Yeah, hopefully, it's not their fault that they're not taking over. It's our fault. Let's be honest. Correct. Let's make sure the onus of responsibility is on the patriarchy. That's important. Uh, yeah, no, I, I adore this film. I think it's great. I, I was delighted by how much it held up for me because you know I saw this when it first came out when I was like eight, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, somewhere in that range. I, I forget when this actually had its wide release theatrically, but uh, I was just delighted at how well it held up. And I, I think there's a lot here that. While it's doing some pretty conventional stuff, it's not really breaking the mold in any way other than some some representation ways, as we've mentioned. It just, it's very emotionally honest in ways that I appreciate. So, yep, it's shelfable for me. Uh, I'm going to recommend you pair it with uh, some some Ellen Page appreciation. Uh, let's start out with her, her big breakout, Hard Candy, uh, which was kind of the thing that launched her career with Patrick Wilson. It's just really more of a two-hander uh, with mostly just the two of them. And, uh, man, that's a buck-wild movie. Uh, David Slade's directorial debut, uh, a director that I really like and uh, wish uh, had gotten to do more stuff. Uh, I think he's got some some stuff in the works, but... I'm a big fan of Hard Candy. I've seen that movie, uh, well, more times than I've seen with it. Uh, next up, obviously, we got to talk about Juno, uh, the the film that kind of launched uh, Ellen Page's Hollywood career. And lastly, I am going to mention James Gunn's very, very weird, more than a little problematic super with Ellen Page and Rain Wilson uh, that has some deeply upsetting scenes, but it has Ellen Page doing just some, some really interesting uh, stuff in terms of performance that... She doesn't really get to do. She gets to go as dark as she gets to go in Hard Candy, but as funny as she gets to go in Juno. And it's a, a, an incredibly darkly comedic performance. And uh, I, I think if you watch those three films, you'd get a real good idea of the range that Ellen Page has as a performer. So those are my Elsa's for Whip It. All right. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? Shelf or trash, else or instead? Uh, out and, uh, let's go ahead and throw it on the shelf. Um, I would also recommend Hard Candy. I think it's a fascinating film. Um, I think you watch Ladybird. I I think that pairs well here as well. Uh, and then finally, I think you should uh, had it earlier. Oh, uh, you should watch I Tanya. I just you know uh, it's you just don't have a lot of female driven sports films to begin with and. No, that's uh, another one that's kind of fascinating and interesting, and about lots of things, about, about lots of stuff, parental expectations yep. and class, and that's a damn good movie. So those would be my recommends to go with uh, whatever we just talked about. Whip it, whip it. <laughs> also skating, whiplash. Also, <laughs> I love whiplash. Whiplash. Uh, moving on. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to say shelf. I think it's definitely shelf worthy. I don't know if I'd buy it. It's a soft shelf for me because oh, it's a good movie. It, uh, it's a soft shelf for me, too. I, we don't have to argue semantics. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's it's it, not a real shelf. Yeah. yeah. It's not a real <laughs> shelf, which is accurate. But it, it's valuable enough to not be trashed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what I would say. It's, it's definitely good. It's definitely fun. Um, I was thinking about a thing. You know, there is that aesthetic of quirky. 
that sort of, you know, how you identify a character. And Ellen Page is like the personification of that in the ways that she is that sort of alt girl wearing the striper t-shirt yep. in this case or with her hamburger phone in Juno, right? That, 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 you yeah. know, that is the sort of 2000s uh, indie aesthetic. It comes across not forced here. And I think that indie, that mid to late 2000s indie aesthetic can often be kind of eye roll inducing 10 mm-hmm. years out now. It, it doesn't happen for me here in Whippet. I, I think it's done very kind of organically, if yeah. that makes sense. So, I, I just, you know, you, you mentioned Juno already. I think that's a good recommend. You mentioned Lady Bird already. I think that is a good recommend for that sort of aesthetic of the quirky. I want to mention another 2009 film, uh, which is about coming of age as adults when you discover that you're having a baby, and that's the movie Away We Go with Maya Rudolph oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. John Krasinski. A uh, great movie. Uh, Alexis Murdoch has one. got a great soundtrack on it as well. Uh, but it's it's a really fun film, and it's, it's doing the that teenage coming of age quirk uh, sort of vignette kind of film, yeah. but is doing it with uh, you know mid twenties adults or late twenties adults, and so it's an interesting you know fun time. You know who directed that? Sam uh, Mendes. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Sam Mendes. I don't did think that. I knew that was Sam Mendes at all. I, yeah. I don't think anybody would have guessed away we go Sam Mendes. Well, yeah, David that's... Eggers wrote it, so no shit. Yeah. Wow. So weirdness of all weirdnesses, man. It, yeah, uh, I always wanted to watch it. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I I saw it in theaters like yeah. on a on a lark. And, uh, yeah, definitely worth the time. Uh, But those will be my recommends. I think that will cover all of that. Your syllabus just got much longer. Well, that was fun enough, I guess. I guess. Should we we do one more? Let's do one more. I'll I'll do one more show. Let's let's close this marathon out, shall we? Let's do it. Well, we're going to charge 88 miles per hour into next week, and we're going to talk about the one and only Anton Yeltsin Mm. and Charlie Bartlett. Look, he's so good. And had so many, so many teen roles so early in his career. We, I'm just so excited to talk about this movie. And as much as I want to talk about gone too soon actors, we will be ranking the entries in this marathon next we, week. We have almost done actors gone too soon several times in this marathon. In this marathon alone. Because of uh, River Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman and now Anton Yelkin. Yeah. too much of this, yeah. Yeah, so... I'm excited to talk about this movie. We've all already watched it, so it's hard to not talk about it right this second. But uh, we will see you next week for that. Sounds good. So take a look at a movie and have a conversation. That's what this is all about. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genre Cast, brought to you by the Good Trash Media Network. For all things Good Trash, head on over to GoodTrashMedia.com. Our intro music is made by Fred the Show, Aaron Rodgers, and our outro music is Devo's Whip It. No, it's not. Are you kidding me? It's Sheena's a Punk Rocker by the Ramones.